0: freedom
1: Democrats plotting another coup against President Trump. Murder spiking in 36 of 50 top U.S. cities. Holland's top doc says there's no evidence masks really work against COVID. A seven-year-old bar owner sent to jail under lockdown tyranny. Plus, TikTok faces sale or ban.
0: This, this is, is the Buck Sexton Show, where the, mission, where the mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One
1: small Make no
0: mistake. America,
1: Great.
2: You're a great American. Again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA
3: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy.
0: It is
2: Buck Sexton.
3: Now
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Hope you had a great weekend. Thank you so much for being here. As always, an honor and a privilege to have you here with me. And, my, do we have much to get to today, as we tend to. I know it's August, but it's August in a presidential election year, which means that there's going to be a lot more going on in the news cycle than there usually would be. And we also have a pandemic raging. We have an anti-cop protest movement making cities across the country less safe, we have rioters running around in the streets like lunatics on a regular basis, and an economy that no one really knows the full damage done to it until we get out of this current situation, this current state. So that then brings me to what I'm starting to see the early signs of. And it is the Democrats making sure that they use everything they can right now to create an unfalsifiable narrative of Trump cheated if he wins. That's, that's going to be a thing you hear. And even more than that, and this is where I start to get really concerned. You see a movement among Democrats to create narratives. And we know the power of narratives. We know how dangerous they can be. Uh, for example, cops kill unarmed black men as part of an epidemic of racism across the country on a continuous and systematic basis. Therefore, let's defund cops. Let's treat law enforcement like they're the enemy. That's a terrible idea. And people are dying because of that. So I think it's important we all keep that in mind here, right? That narratives can push us to make very, very poor decisions. But you have, for example... Um, the story of Russia collusion, which has just faded into the background, even though it was the single most prominent news story of the first three years of the Trump presidency. It was all a lie. We used to hear from so-called experts and big time news journos, multimillionaire anchors on a nightly basis that Christopher Steele, the author of the dossier, was such a brilliant, uh, a brilliant Intelligence mind. Clearly, if he wrote this dossier, it must be true. We heard that there were going to be all these massive revel- uh, revelations. Adam Schiff and other Democrat members of Congress promising the other shoe would drop. Tick tock, tick tock, any day now. No, that was not true. That was all a lie. And what we saw was that that lie wasn't just a media lie used for the purposes of a political weapon against the president but also used as an excuse within the apparatus of the federal government to go after the president of the United States to use the law enforcement apparatus to try and create this not not just an investigation but a prosecutable offense out of nothing to force an impeachment to force a destruction of all that so far the Trump administration had been able to accomplish. We, we see all of this and we understand very clearly that this was a deep state coup effort, right? We see that they were using these lies beyond just convincing people that Trump was evil, that Trump was bad. They were using them as the basis, as the predicate for investigation, as the justification for spying tools to be used against the president of the United States. And now we see something else happening. The story that's out there about Trump won't uh, concede. Trump won't allow himself to be defeated in this election. It doesn't matter. He won't step down. Now, there's no basis for this. right? There's no reason... To believe that this is actually true, but it doesn't matter that it's not true the same way. It didn't matter that Russia collusion was all a big lie. They are going with this. They're doing everything they can here because it is useful for as long as they can get away with it. It's useful uh, to say things like Trump is a fascist. That's absurd. He's had the biggest opening for fascism imaginable, if that's what he had wanted. And look who the real fascists are. Cuomo yelling at people that they need to do what he says or else. Newsom unleashing the force of the state to lock people down. Unless it's a protest, then it's OK. Remember how last week I said uh, sarcastically are rules just for the little people? We know they are just for the little people. Mayor Bowser of D.C. officially exempted. And I believe that I got the, the ball rolling here with a mega viral tweet. I'm just going to say it. That was seen all over the country saying, hold on a second. Why do we have a two week quarantine in D.C. for anyone who comes from certain states, but it doesn't apply to all the not socially distanced mourners at John Lewis's fourth funeral ceremony really ah it's all political rules are for the little people it does not they they don't care how much they have to lie they don't care how how they're distorting and destroying principles on a regular basis it is useful in the moment hypocrisy is powerful if you embrace it and that's what they've done so we have these stories that President Trump is not going to leave office, uh, this is based on nothing. We have stories about him as a fascist, or we even have people coming. Here's Jim Clyburn saying exactly that. Play 13.
4: What I said started about two and a half, maybe three years ago, after one he state of the unions. But I feel very strongly that this is, man has taken on strong-arm tactics. And I feel very strongly that he is Mussolini. Putin is Hitler. I said that back then, and I believe that. I believe very strongly this guy never had an idea about being one to peacefully transfer power. I don't think he plans to leave uh, the White House. He doesn't plan to have fair and unfettered elections. I believe that he plans to install himself uh, in some kind of emergency way uh, to continue to hold on to office. And that's why the American people had better wake up.
1: Oh, we're supposed to wake up and believe this absurd lie. We're supposed to believe that Trump is a fascist who won't leave office if he loses. What are they saying This based on? Absolutely nothing. But in, you know, in the meantime, you have the liberal intelligentsia, such as it is, the lib establishment being very clear that they think that there might be a contested election. So they're trying to convince you Trump won't leave office if he loses. They're also telling you there's going to be an election that they don't think is going to be a clear victor on election night. But I thought Trump was so terrible he's going to lose by so much. Oh, no, no, no. They know it's going to be, it is going to be a tight election. We all see that coming. And they're doing things like having John Podesta in a war game. This is written about in the New York Times. And this is how it goes. Uh, A big popular win for Joe Biden and a narrow electoral defeat presumably reached after weeks of counting the votes in Pennsylvania in a war game. For this war game, they cast John Podesta, who is Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, in the role of Mr. Biden. They expected him when the votes came in to concede just as Mrs. Clinton had. But Mr. Podesta playing Biden shocked the organizers by saying his party felt they wouldn't let him concede, alleging voter suppression. He persuaded the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan to send pro-Biden electors to the Electoral College. In that scenario, California, Oregon, and Washington then threatened to secede from the United States if Mr. Trump took office as planned. The House named Mr. Biden president, the Senate, and the White House stuck with Mr. Trump. At that point in the scenario, the nation stopped looking to the media for cures and waited to see what the military would do. The military deciding the election these are very influential powerful democrats this is the new york times writing about this and they're war gaming out what happens if biden doesn't concede the election and democrats say no sorry not letting it happen well hold on a second i thought they were worried that trump wouldn't concede the election oh what you're really getting here i know you could say this is fantasy this is war gaming why are they waste their time on this this is absurd or is it what you see here is a psychological refusal among the Democrat Party. And I don't mean this just a few Democrats, a few crazies. I'm not talking about Antifa here. I'm talking about the very top levels. Think of how much Trump has deranged them and this presidency has emotionally wounded Democrats. They can't, ha- they can't psychologically process how the country could elect this man. The thought of him being president for four years us going through a pandemic and then the American people still picking Donald Trump over the Democrat. It doesn't matter who the Democrat is. They simply cannot bear it. They can't bear it to the point where they're considering any and all options to stop it from happening. Given that they already tried this soft coup of the Russia collusion lie and the deep state against Trump, given that they've tried to convince some stealth Democrats, you know, leave-behinds in the administration or in the uh, executive branch to use the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office, all these, that they tried this preposterous impeachment of nothing that didn't go anywhere. Given all these things, what do you think the Democrats are not willing to do the next time around? When you ask yourself that question, you see the, the options are narrowing with each passing week. They're narrowing, and that's also why they're trying to change the rules now. They will not accept Donald Trump winning four more years, just as they didn't accept Trump winning the first four years. That is what we're heading for now as a country. Understand that. Understand where we are going. There is no future in which Donald Trump wins re-election and Democrats accept it. So we might as
0: well embrace this fight now you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast
2: call me a cynic joe if you will but one thing i think we all learned in the year 2000 is that republicans are pretty good at fixing the way we count ballots in this country and now with this whole furor over mail-in votes. Uh, we could be sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner not really knowing specifically who the president-elect of the United States is. Now, so we all have to pray that it's going to be a landslide for Joe Biden in order to avoid this conflict.
1: Notice how they're already assuming that the problem is going to be with Trump not accepting the results of the election, and then they, they immediately will, will slip to, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're not going to be able to accept it if Trump wins, right? (laughs) They they go back and forth. They have it covered from all sides, of course. Uh, Mail-in ballots. We've we've run an experiment here in New York for a congressional race with mail-in ballots. And it is being described, even in the New York Times, this is a Democrat primary, as botched. Why the botched New York City primary has become the November nightmare. That's the name of the piece here. Nearly six weeks later, Two congressional races remain undecided, and officials are trading blame over the mishandling of tens of thousands of mail-in ballots. So you'll notice there's been a a knee-jerk, reflexive, reactionary, oh my gosh, Trump says mail-in ballots are going to be a problem, so we can't, we simply... Uh, can't allow that to be the, the consensus opinion. We have to sh- shoot down, shout down anything Trump says. But mail-in ballots are going to be a problem. And, you know, the, the best way that I can see to describe this was actually a, uh, an offhand description from somebody who works for the Board of Elections here in New York. Um, and the, it's a person familiar with the internal operations of the city's Board of Elections, but not authorized to speak on the record said that having to increase the number of mail-in ballots had caused enormous struggles at the agency. Imagine saying, this is the quote from the person in the article. We don't know who this is, but it's, it really illustrates it well. Imagine saying, I'm having a dinner party for 10 people, and then saying, no, it's 100 people. It's a very steep learning curve. You don't say. Oh, but, Bach, people have been doing... Absentee voting for years, yeah, that's a small percentage of overall votes. And absentee votes often don't even get counted before the election is determined, right? They would only get counted if the election is so tight in certain states that you would need to see based on the outstanding ballots. What happened in New York? Why is it that six weeks, six weeks have passed? Can you imagine what the country would be going through? Can you imagine what we would be facing as a country if we went through a six-week-long, oh, let's fight it out over how to count these different... Remember, it's what you saw in the, in Florida in the year 2000 and ended in Bush v. Gore, the Supreme Court. Play that out across the entire country. All of America. Every state has mail-in ballots. Every state is going to be contested under all kinds of rules. And they'll, they'll, they will argue over not just how the rules are enforced about ballots, Democrats, leftists, because we know they always try to structure the system to favor an outcome, not a system that favors fairness. Democrats will contest the very rules themselves that they will then also contest based on outcome. Oh, this should not have been a requirement beforehand. Oh, this is unconstitutional. This is discriminatory. This, everything. They will, they're going kitchen sink, my friends. They're going to throw everything they have at this. What were the problems in the New York election? Uh, this includes Carolyn Maloney, who's been my congressman in New York City for a very long time. And it's a classic rich lib. Uh, she's got a primary challenge. And, and you're, you're going through how, how many votes need to be in question for there to be a problem, And looking at this congressional primary. Well, when you start to see what the real difference is here, then all of a sudden you understand, hold on a second, we are signing up for a, a disaster, an absolute disaster if we allow this to go forward. Um, you're talking about in the low... Thousands of votes that separate out these two, uh, these two candidates. New York City Board of Elections sent more than 750,000 ballots with prepaid return envelopes. 400,000 were mailed back. And when you look at the difference in these, uh, these races, you're talking about a few thousand votes right now separating out who's ahead, who gets to be a member of Congress from who doesn't. And we're, we're going to believe what that they're going to get it better. Oh, here we go. Mr. Patel trails the incumbent representative Karen Maloney by some thirty seven hundred votes. More than twelve thousand ballots have been disqualified. Twelve hundred of them were missing postmarks. This is going to be this election is is going to turn into a uh, this is going to turn into a factional fight for control of the United States government if we let the Democrats have their way.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: One of the things that are happening and you're reading about every day is we have many vaccine candidates are in the final phase of clinical trials. And we expect to have a vaccine available very, very early before the end of the year, far ahead of schedule. There's never been a schedule. The FDA has been great at my instruction and they're doing it in literally a tiny fraction of the time. This could have taken years and literally we're in months and we're very close to having that finalized. And then we're using our military to distribute the vaccine all over logistically. We've also cut mountains of red tape to speed the development of hundreds of new therapeutics and treatments, and that's coming along very well. Remdesivir is already out. It's been very successful, and many other things are happening therapeutically, which is going to be, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, in many respects, more important than the vaccine because you can have people get a shot or have a transfusion, and they leave the hospital to get better.
1: Now, if you were trying, speaking of wargaming, to create a circumstance where you could test whether Democrats love power more than the country, whether the media is, in fact, in this country, the mainstream media, the corporate media, the enemy of the American people. If you were trying to construct the true test of that, um, even more so than you know, rooting against America in subtle or not so subtle ways during a time of war, saying, oh, no, we're just we're just about peace, man. We just want the war to end, you know, things that you've seen the media do in the past. But if, if you're looking for the purest distillation of their lust for power at the expense of their fellow Americans, I think you may see that in the next 90 days. Because here's what's going to happen. There will be an effort. There'll be an effort underway to undermine the confidence and faith that the American people can have in Operation Warp Speed, which is Trump's name for the all out get a vaccine program that the federal government's currently engaged in. Now, let me and and let me put aside for a second, any concerns that anybody has in general about vaccines? uh, That's that's not that's not a debate I want to have today. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling you that specifically here, the New York Times, which I can assure you is all about vaccinations in all other circumstances, is going to be at least up until the election. Now, we probably won't have a vaccine, according to people in the White House I've been talking to until very end of year. So that means likely December. It might be the greatest Christmas present we've ever gotten in our lifetime. Right. All of a sudden, you know, vaccines are out there, but. You're also going to be told in the meantime, oh, we're not sure it will be there. We don't know if it's going to be that effective. Uh, You know, there's going to be so much politics at play in this whole conversation on a vaccine, because here's the narrative the Democrats are desperate to destroy. Trump dealt with a very difficult situation, but because of his ability to harness both public and private sector research, use the Defense Production Act and use the Coronavirus Task Force led by Vice President Pence to the best possible effect, we would have a vaccine in what would be the shortest time period that anybody's ever even imagined for something like this. And we're going to get our lives back, and we're going to get back the America in terms of the economy, the dynamism, the economic growth, the wage growth, the super low unemployment. We're going to get all of that back once this vaccine gets distributed. They will do anything, anything to shut that narrative down. They just don't want that to be your perception. And that even includes, I mean, I I just did by by way of of an offhand search. Sometimes this is a very good way to to measure perception and, and what's going on in the with the media i just did coronavirus uh, new york times or sorry vaccine new york times rather in new search here's what comes up this is from today a coronavirus vaccine is coming just don't call it warp speed uh scientists need to show us the data that's exactly what they're working on don't call it warp speed huh why not why is that why is that bad scientists worry about political influence over coronavirus vaccine project just keeps going. Russia sets mass vaccination for October after a shortened trial. You think. Would, would you, I'm just going to ask you this. Would you rather inject yourself with something the Russian government rushed through or the U.S. government went as quickly as it could on? Just remember that as the way. Uh, New York Times Canada's key role in creating a once awaited vaccine. Uh, my friends you're going to see so much of the following. Trump is not responsible for the vaccine progress. Uh, Don't hold your breath on a vaccine. It may not work that well. We may not be able to get doses to uh, minorities and those most affected disproportionately, which is always the construct the media has for this, even though the virus affects everybody. Uh, May not be able to get it out there fast enough. It could have been faster if it weren't for Trump. You'll hear that. They'll they'll find endless variations of negativity to infuse into all reporting on the vaccine up until the election day. Because think about this. What what is the uh, what is the, the lives saved estimate that we would have if Trump gets this vaccine done in, let's say, by the end of the year? And look, I understand this. Presidents don't fight wars. Soldiers do. Presidents don't create a dynamic economy. Workers and entrepreneurs and people working in business do. Right. So presidents get more and less credit in a lot of ways than they should. But let's understand Trump has been held responsible by the media for every state failure against covid for the bad economy. All this stuff. Well, guess what? He also then needs to be given credit for spearheading a mass vaccination program that may well be setting a, a, an unprecedented record here for effectiveness and speed, right? And he should get credit for that, too. They want to make sure that doesn't happen. They want him to get all of the downside, including things he had nothing to do with and that were completely out of his control from the fight against COVID and none of the upside from success. Because here's, here's the choice they really don't want people to be faced with. Because I think we a lot of us know how this would go. OK, if it turns out Trump can handle the pandemic and we do have a vaccine and we are seeing finally our way out of the woods, so to speak. You want a Trump economic recovery or a Biden economic recovery? I mean, Biden is the proverbial sack of potatoes that Democrats are saying they would vote for over Trump.
5: Yeah, here I am, Corn
2: Popper now, we're out there, my legs, I got the sun on them and. Uh, I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm just going to yell and stare
1: into the camera, and I've been doing this for like 180 years, and I'm kind of just
6: going to be that guy.
1: That's who they want you to vote for. That's who they think is the dynamic leadership figure that should be in charge of the United States. We're supposed to find out this week who his vice president will be. We will have to see. I feel like they're going to keep delaying that. Better to give the media a talking point Uh, For another week or two to get in as many and as diverse an array of names as possible so that we're not talking about Biden, because the vice president thing, that's going to be exciting to everybody in the media for like a couple of weeks and then they'll probably move on to something else. But uh, the Democrats are going to be willing to say all kinds of things between now and the election about vaccines that they would never normally say, and it will change behaviors, it will affect policy. Uh, it is reckless what they will do. I'm, I'm telling you that right now. It's not just about preventing Trump from getting the credit. They're going to want to keep people more afraid, more in despair. Remember, we have had so many drug overdoses and and suicides, deaths of despair. Um, I mean, the, the impact on public health right now, you know, we Americans in particular have a very high fat, very um, uh, indulgent food culture. And I'm speaking, yes, uh, you know, from a from a guilty conscience on this one. But we also uh, tend to have a high output and like to be very you know, uh, aggressive about strength and and uh, working out and aerobic exercise that has been wiped away from millions and millions of us. The, I know it sounds a little superficial, but it's not. The impact on public health from that is massive, massive. And they're not calculating any of that. They don't care about any of that. They'll continue the lockdowns and they'll be doubters of the vaccine until Joe Biden gets elected. And then I can assure you, if Biden wins in late November, there'll be all these news stories or mid to late November, they'll all these news stories of oh, because of some Biden decisions, now there'll be more vaccine than anybody anticipated. Oh, it turns out the vaccine is really safe. Oh, look at that. We actually have a cure for coronavirus. But they're not going to say it until after the election, because everybody knows that their single biggest asset right now in their pursuit of political power is the misery and the anxiety of the American people. And that's why they need to make sure that the the story continues, that Trump has done the worst job of anyone. Joe Scarborough, fake Republican, actual Democrat. Play clip two.
6: So you, you, you can go through that laundry list. It's people aren't making a decision based on his personality. They're making a decision based on, uh, just calamitous policies that have put the United States in the worst position of any country on the planet. I mean, we should not be where we are right now.
1: The worst position of any country on the planet. Um, that's just not true. The only real way to measure this would be in per, per capita, uh, per capita deaths from COVID. And when you do that, when you actually adjust for population, guess what? You know, we're in a much better position, have been in a much better position than a whole lot of countries. Also, because Democrats were apoplectic, screaming about how we need to test and test and test more. All this testing need. Right. We have all this need for testing. Uh, now we know more about the infected population. I think a lot of other countries the infection, especially among younger, among the younger cohorts just ripped through them and people cleared it and now they're okay. And that's what happened. We are heading toward herd immunity in America. I know you're not supposed to say that. Oh, that's like the most evil and vicious thing imaginable. We are heading toward herd immunity. Despite The best efforts of the United States government, of the states, of the Democrat Party and a lot of Republicans to pretend that we could stop the spread of this virus. It's simply not true. We're heading to herd immunity, but we're doing so with the maximum amount of pain, suffering, stupidity and economic devastation possible. We have made this whole thing so much worse and it was going to be bad, but we have made it so much worse. The failure to protect senior citizens. I mean, when you look at the average age of those deceased from this, the median age of those deceased, it's increasingly clear it's over 80. It's people who are at risk from any and all health, uh, health challenges that could be lethal. Right? Whether it's the flu or heart disease or anything else. And instead of an all-out focus to protect those communities... You know, to give our seniors who are 80, 85, another good 15 years of life, if possible. right? Instead of that focus, or or more than 15, but you know, instead of that focus, we have a focus that was on everyone, lock them down, and just smash their face into the nonsense of universal masking, outdoors, always, all the time, Endless lockdown, not opening schools. It's a disaster. But it's a disaster that a lot of people have been egging on because you know what the ultimate truth of this situation is? To your average Democrat, and they should really they should do a poll on this question. But to your average Democrat, if asked whether Donald Trump or COVID-19 is the bigger disaster to hit America, I bet you a vast majority would say it is. Donald Trump,
0: who is the true pandemic. They are insane. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: Well, Bernie Sanders just acknowledged the reality. I mean, Joe Biden's campaign really is a Trojan horse for the far left uh, of the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wrote his criminal justice platform, which is going to let violent felons out of prison, which is going to eliminate the use of bail so violent felons are going to get out of uh, prison or get out of jail while they're pending their trial for violent crimes. Um, But it's not just that. I mean, look at what Joe Biden himself said on the campaign trail that Beto O'Rourke is going to run his gun control policy, which is going to be gun confiscation. They're going to give amnesty to millions and millions of illegal immigrants so they can take your jobs and also get your, their health care funded by you. At the same time, they're going to take away your health insurance on the job. They're also going to take radical steps like turning Washington, D.C. into a state or packing the Supreme Court to rubber step their left wing agenda.
1: I understand now in, in even more detail than ever before that Joe Biden is actually The perfect candidate for the Democrat Party right now. He's perfect for them. Let me explain why. He because he's been in politics so long and he's a an entirely unremarkable white male senator from Delaware. Right. People that don't pay that much attention to politics, perhaps some of the swing voters will not really know about the leftism, which Senator Cotton there points out that Joe Biden will infuse all across America The socialism that will really be a driving characteristic of a Joe Biden presidency. But also, Joe Biden has no political legacy to protect. He, in a sense, becomes the man brought in to shake everything up, to destroy, to do whatever is necessary, whatever the left wants him to do, and they will revere him for all time afterwards for it. But he has no, there's no Biden, uh, there's no Biden son who's going to run, For president, there's no Biden name that's going to echo through the ages as someone that is going to be elected just based upon that. No, Biden will do his part for the left. He'll be well compensated, which is very important to him and and his family and heirs and do whatever he whatever they want him to do without any regard for what the future looks like. Right. In, In a sense, he's brought in as as the guy who doesn't care what comes politically 10 years down the line. This is his shot to be president. the left knows it and so he's being offered up and he'll do whatever they, he'll do whatever they want him to do. And the most disastrous of their policies, Biden's not smart enough to figure this out, will be left at, at, at his feet. But things like amnesty, once they get that through, my friend, there's no undoing it. So Biden then
0: just becomes the perfect
1: weapon of the socialist left. That's
0: what's happening. Thanks for listening to the Sex Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Biden supports raising your taxes. They want to raise your taxes three, four, or even five times. And on businesses, they want to put all your businesses, which is basically from a lot of standpoint, your jobs out of out of business. He wants to pack the court with radical far left judges indoctrinate your children with what they're teaching in schools which we're ending and we've ended and they want to have open borders sanctuary cities but open borders they want to rip down your wall think of this wants to rip down your wall we're spending billions of dollars building one of the most incredible structures you've ever seen it's one of the largest developments ever in the history of this country think of that the wall It's, you know, hundreds of miles long, over 500 miles. They want to rip down you all. It's what kept a lot of very, very sick people out of our country. And now it's keeping bad people out of our country, people that we don't want. What that Trump said there,
1: what could you point to and say it's not true about Joe Biden? Higher taxes, sanctuary cities, abolish borders, indoctrinate your children. I mean, they they would quibble with the terminology, but all of that's true. That is what Joe Biden would do. That is what Joe Biden wants. That's what the Democratic Party wants. All true. So why is it that that's not really reflected in perception in so many of the states that are going to be in play for this election? Well, because, as you know, there's going to be different messages for different groups. And, oh, gosh, Governor Whitmer up in Michigan, when she's not being a tyrant, oh, yeah, she's making sure that Michiganders know That Joe Biden's on their side. Play 15.
3: I think Joe Biden's message resonates with Michiganders. We're hardworking, good people who want competent governance that looks out for us and keeps us safe. I think Joe Biden offers the kind of steady, ethical leadership that that we're craving right now. And number two, the fact that they've announced that they're taking ads off makes me very suspicious. You know, I've seen polls that have them up uh, double digits. I've seen polls that have it in single digits. The fact of the matter is, just by them announcing that, we know that the DeVos group, Group here in Michigan is going to backfill that to some extent. And so this is still going to be a competitive race. It is going to tighten up and no one should be taking Michigan for granted.
1: That's what's going to happen. Democrats who are in the more purple and in-place states are going to be taking a message to their people of just platitudes and BS. Oh, gosh, Joe Biden. Yeah, he just wants good governance and looking out for you. And Joe Biden's a moron really not a smart guy no one thinks he's a smart guy no one thinks he's good at anything really other than running for senate in a state that and no offense to delaware you know once you kind of get entrenched there i mean you're kind of the senator from delaware and that be a whole lot of challenges so you know the guy really is is about as you know politically is is as impressive as being like the mayor of buffalo but he does sit in the united states senate you know or mayor of any kind of mid mid-tier city um But nonetheless, Joe Biden is the offering of the Democrat Party in this year. This is what they're telling us we need to be doing. I think it's completely absurd. And he's also at the forefront of a party that right now wants to defund police. They haven't given up on this, they're still acting like this isn't the most insane policy decision of recent memory. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one you can argue about the, the virus stuff and COVID, the lockdowns. There are arguments to be had on different sides of that issue. I think that, unfortunately, hysteria has won out over reason and adult thinking. Uh, but you can, at least there are different sides to these issues. When it comes to defunding the cops, th- there's no intelligent argument for, yeah, let's just let's just in places where they're having more violent crime and where they can't get violent crime under control. Let's give police less resources and less political support to do their jobs. There's no serious argument for that. And Trump points this out. Play, Play 18.
2: Biden's record can be summed up as four decades of betrayal, calamity, failure. Biden signed a joint manifesto with Bernie Sanders. He has an agreement with Bernie Sanders, which means Biden is now running as the most extreme left candidate in history. This manifesto, as I call it, this is far left of where Bernie was. So it was supposed to be going to the right and it's far left. When asked whether he would defend and defund our police, Biden said we're going to fund him. He wants to defund. He's going to defund the police. He's going to cut it way down, cut it way back. Just like in New York, they've already cut it by a billion dollars and crime is soaring in New York. Crime is soaring in Chicago. They're cutting back on their police. We are doing just the opposite. Yesterday I was in Florida. And I got the entire law enforcement group, including all the sheriffs in Florida. They endorsed Donald Trump for president. Very strong endorsement. Biden will take away your guns. He'll take away your Second Amendment. Biden will ban fracking, killing over 600,000 Pennsylvania jobs. And Biden will side with the anarchists and the agitators, the mob that you've been watching in Portland and Seattle. They want all cities to be like that.
1: This according to the Wall Street Journal. Homicides are rising at a double-digit rate this year as compared to last year in 36 of America's top 50 cities. Almost four out of five cities, folks. Substantial increase in crime. The kind of increase in homicides that in any given year would give that mayor, that police commissioner, concern over whether they would keep their job when the next decision is made, when the, the next time around. Uh, 36 out of 50 cities we're to and this is with a lockdown in place for months far fewer people on the streets far fewer you know incidental contacts between individuals that could lead to a violent exchange uh, far fewer targets for criminals to go after and yet we're seeing big spikes in murder Uh, this is because of the far left narrative of blm and the democrat party they have made everything worse for everyone as I have been telling you, this is what has happened. It's not surprising. In fact, no one is surprised who is intelligent and serious that the narrative of BLM from the Democrats was in any way anything other than a disaster, right? There, there was no, what, oh, we're, we're going to have police reform, greater transparency. Greater transparency for police violence is not going to stop dozens of people from getting shot on a bad weekend in Chicago, it's not going to do anything for that. We all know that, but the far left is getting their way here. There is a a sense of I think snapback as well. There's there's blowback from the Trump presidency that and that the left is both enraged and descendant at this point in time. And and while as I said, Governor Whitmer, oh gosh, yeah, you're going to have all these all these like real down home Democrats who just oh gosh, I want everyone to be fine and I just want. Well, Biden just wants to make sure you and your kids are safe. Oh, sure. They're going to be telling you all that crap. That's what they're going to say in Michigan, in Ohio, in Florida. You know, their Democrat surrogates are going to go out with that message. But to the base, it's going to be very different. To the base, they're going to be speaking the truth about how this is going to be the most left wing presidency in history. It's going to be like Bernie without the burn.
3: Play clip three. We're going to fight out our differences after Biden is elected. Mm -hmm. But right now, the immediate task is to come together to defeat Trump. And then as progressives, we're going to do everything that we can to make the Biden administration the most progressive administration that it can become. But right now, my message to our supporters, hey, not only you get out to vote, vote early, but get your friends, your co-workers, your co-students out to vote as well.
1: You see, Bernie Sanders' greatest vulnerability in running for president, his greatest political vulnerability, was the honesty of his positions. He, he he is not really that different at all from the mainstream Democrat Party. In fact, he has clearly brought the mainstream Democrat Party much closer to him than the other way around. I look at, look at health care, look at, look at education, look at uh, college, you know, student loans, all these things, the... Areas now of of shift in the Democrat Party have all been toward the left. there is not some rise of centrism and technocratic realism in the Democrat Party at all. That does not exist at all. What do you have, Bernie Sanders style policies? And that's why I think Scarber. I mean, uh, that's why I think Sanders here is speaking to the base in a in a way that they know they know that. All they have to do is show up. Yeah, maybe they don't like Biden. No one's enthusiastic about him. They show up. They vote for this guy and they'll get Sanders policies from a super old white dude like Sanders in that regard, who is going to put a female minority on the vice president ticket and is going to then catapult that VP to run in four years. And let's also be very clear. Would, why Why would Joe Biden not a year or two into his presidency for personal or health reasons say, I'm going to step aside and let my vice president take over now? He then becomes the, the, their, their absolute hero, right? He can do whatever policies the left wants. He can step aside, hand over the reins, and he will have saved, and the Democrats I saved them from four more years of Trumpism. I, that, that to him... And, and he gets to just you know, ride off into the sunset, and they're all going to talk about how wonderful he is and how he saved the republic, and it's a and doesn't have to do anything, really. He just has to show up. In a sense, it's like Biden as VP for Obama. Don't have to, the guy's a moron. He just has to show up, be, be Obama's VP, but now he gets to be the presidential contender just because he was there. He's the I-just-show-up guy. And somehow, like magic, it keeps working for him. Just show up. Be wrong, be corrupt, be dumb, doesn't matter. Show up. And he will, he will have the most, you know, the most incredible opportunity to become a beloved, truly beloved Democrat figure. Now, again, I, I said you, they're going to make him maybe do a lot of crazy policy stuff. We'll see. He might do that. He also might just move aside and let the left-wing VP that he picks do all of that. And he will have just been the transition piece Either way, he wins. Minimum effort, maximum positive outcome for Joe Biden. Can we all see how this is shaking out? It makes sense. It makes sense. Easier. If you're a far left Democrat, increasingly, that's just a Democrat. But if you're somebody on the far left of the Democrat Party, it is a more uh, easy rationalization to come out and say, vote for Joe Biden right in this context than it was for Hillary With Hillary, couldn't even really do her voice. Hillary, there we go. Uh, With Hillary, you were voting for her to be president for eight years. And you were going to have to deal with her, hear her speeches, protect, uh, you know, defend her and protect her reputation, despite her unlikability, her rampant self-dealing and greed and corruption. Democrats were going to have to deal with all that with Joe Biden. Vote for Biden, but you're going to get the first female minority president out of the bargain. And and you're going to uh, fool enough people in those flyover states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, that you're going to have Biden and, and then give them a left wing policy agenda. It's perfect. It's perfect. If you're a left winger, this is uh, this is really a, in a lot of ways the, the, the best possible situation for you. You'll get the policies and the legacy you want by pretending that you're offering up a a moderate establishment Democrat who wants to unite the country, who is is just a facade. It's just a Trojan horse, as many have been
0: saying. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But the six hundred dollars is essential. It's, it's essential for America's working families. And, and again, to condescend, to disrespect their motivation is so amazing how how uh, uh, insistent the Republicans are about a working family and their six hundred dollars and how cavalier they are about other money that is going out.
1: Why not a thousand dollars a week, Nancy? I mean, come on. Why be so cavalier with with people's troubles and their and their problems and their future? Why not a thousand dollars a week in covid relief for everybody who is home? Does anyone want to try to answer that? I mean, under Democrat logic, the more the more money the federal government gives to people who are staying home, the more it cares about them, the more considerate and understanding and decent they are. Forget about whether that disincentivizes people going back to work. You see, d- Democrats fundamentally seem to think that value and wealth are created through government policy. That if the government passed a law, if Nancy, Nancy passed a law that said that everybody in America is a is is worth a million dollars and just put a million dollars in a bank account for everybody, then we would all be millionaires. They never think about what that would actually mean to our monetary system to the price of goods to the economy to the creation of actual wealth goods and services and the free transactions that those things enable and allow to create greater productivity and to make us all better off right you go to the grocery store the shelves are full of food so many different kinds of you know milk available almond milk you know hazelnut milk cow milk goat milk You don't even know I can spend 20 minutes in the milk section. That's capitalism. Right. That is an economy that has dynamism and people are rewarded for their work. If you just have the government determining on its own what things are, what things should be uh, costing and how much people should make it all starts without price, without incentives, it all starts to uh, collapse and fall apart. Now, I'm not saying the whole economy will collapse if we continue $600 a week of unemployment insurance. I'm just pointing out that it's a disingenuous position for Democrats to say, oh, well, we just need to extend the 600 again. Republicans are only fighting that because they're condescending and mean. No, Republicans are saying, look, we want to get people money, but we do need people to start going back to work. Why Why should somebody be able to stay home and collect a paycheck when grocery store workers and truckers and others are out there uh, engaged with their communities and providing a necessary service, you know frontline workers cops firemen teachers not so much a Lot of teachers think that they should be able to stay home and get paid fully You know, it's pretty amazing as you see this play out. I just don't know what it's going to take um, They're also shutting down p- uh, private schools now increasingly because they don't want this This is this is classic cartel activity The public school sector doesn't want there to be an alternative Imagine what it looks like if people have the dollars given to them by the federal government that their student would have been receiving per capita to go to public school and they start setting up private associations of education, private schools, and they don't have terrible covid problems and kids are doing well in the schools. I mean, this could destroy the public school cartel, which is an an enormous center of power for Democrats because of all the union dues that go to Democrat politicians, forced union views, and because uh, these public schools are indoctrination centers for left-wing politics and Democrat attitudes and views of history and, and so on and so forth. That's what happens. That's what's at stake right now with, with all of this. So I, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic, very much so. I mean, I have friends who are out of work. I have friends who have lost their jobs. And I know that it's very tough right now I want I mean, people have been getting six hundred dollars a week of, of unemployment insurance, which is which is helpful, certainly. Um, and they add that to their state level of of uninsurance. And, you know, there's certainly uh, there's certainly some assistance that that comes from all of this. But w- are we going to transition back or not locking schools down for another year? Endless six six hundred uh, dollar a week unemployment insurance. All this stuff. Folks, we can't keep doing this. The costs of all of this, we're not going to feel them until we stop, and then we're going to realize what an economic catastrophe this is.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the scientists, the Democrats
1: all shout constantly, as if that's an answer, as if that's a policy, as if that really tells us all that much. Trump has been listening to the scientists, I think, in the case of the Fauch, you know, the mitigation, the measures you got to take, you know, the data. Uh, I think far too much listening to the scientists on policy matters. Policy is about what all of us have to live under and deal with. These uh, health experts are largely technicians with knowledge in one area that can tell us factual truths about certain things and a lot of questions that they can't answer, I would remind everybody. They tell us factual truths about certain things. And then what we do with that is policy. What the government puts in place or mandates or decides as a result of that information is policy. We've had the bleed over of the experts as the policy deciders. And then the complaints about how we're not listening to them enough, which is crazy. But we know that there's there's actually not a principle that's at work here. Dr. Deborah Burks. Uh, slam the New York Times because the Times is uh, is now on a on a jihad against the Trump administration relationship with top doctors, Fauci, Redfield and Burks. We all know Fauci. Right. We got Redfield He's at the uh, he's a CDC director. And he said, guys, we got to send people back to school. This is got to send kids back to school. This is nuts. So they're they're going to go after him now, too. Listen to the scientists until the scientists say anything that the Times doesn't like. And then that doesn't that doesn't count anymore. And then you also have uh, the attack on the relationship between Trump and Dr. Burks, And Trump has even responded to this uh, this morning in in a tweet. It It got his attention. And this is just remember, we got a pandemic and they're still playing stupid games. So the Times is writing this stuff. Crazy Pelosi, as Trump calls her, said horrible things about Dr. Deborah Burks going after her because she was too positive on the very good job we're doing on combating the China virus, including vaccines and therapeutics. In order to counter Nancy, Deborah took the bait and hit us pathetic. So Trump is upset with Dr. Burks about this. Pelosi's talking talking some smack here. Here's what Dr. Burks says. Play twelve.
3: The House Speaker on another network just said that she does not have confidence in either the President or you, Dr. Burks. Do you want to respond? I have tremendous respect for the Speaker, um, and I have tremendous respect for her long dedication to the American people, and I think... Um, it was unfortunate that New York Times wrote this article without speaking to me. I could have brought forth the data. I provide data every single day with an analysis. The day that they're talking about that I was, quote, Pollyannish, it said there was improvement in the New York Metro, but ongoing cases in Boston, and Chicago, a new outbreak in Houston in full logarithmic spread, and new concerning outbreaks in Baltimore, New Haven, and, and, and um, Washington, D.C. This was not a Pollyannish view. I have never been called Pollyannish or non scientific or non data driven. And I will stake my 40 year career on those fundamental principles of utilizing data to really implement better programs to save more lives.
1: Utilizing programs to save lives. Dr. Burks is like, I know what I'm doing here. I've done a good job. Back off. I thought we we're supposed to listen to the scientists until we're undermining them for political reasons right we see we see the games that the libs play i understand what they're up to none none of this is surprising to me in the least but i do think i think it's important that we all understand we all see very clearly that they're not being honest when they say listen to scientists here here's Nance and nancy pelosi saying it herself play clip seven
3: Politico reported that in a closed meeting on Friday, you accused Dr. Deborah Burks of the Coronavirus Task Force of spreading disinformation about the pandemic. Is that true? And do you have confidence in her?
0: I, I think the president is spending, uh, spreading disinformation about the virus and she is his, uh, she is his appointee. So I don't have confidence there. No.
1: Does not have confidence. Wait, I thought we were supposed to listen to the scientists. Oh, except for this scientist, because she's not negative enough, you see. They're, They're lying, folks. They just pick and choose as they go through. They are lying to you. This is not about science or scientists. This is about who gets to make determinations about America's future and tells you and can tell you what to do. Who gets power The great disease of the Democrat Party is its obsession with being in charge of of other people in every way, constantly. It's it's just a it's a psychology of of harassment, of of uh, obsession with the petty dictatorial delights. People like Cuomo are showing us this every day. There's so much more of it. I, I, you know, over the weekend, I went to play. uh, I played tennis, which I like to do. I played in Central Park here in New York. Uh, Probably the most famous park in New York, one of the most famous parks in the world. They've got some tennis courts there. And it was remarkable to me. I mean, there are people, we're all standing outdoors. We're all about to go play tennis. And everyone has a mask on. And we're outside. And I mean, I'm wearing a mask. It's required to wear a mask. And then because of the way they set this up, everyone has to congregate right before they all walk out of the courts in one tiny area. And I'm thinking to myself, what's more important here? To stay far away from the possible unlikely, but possible virus breath into the air that people are doing right where they're, they're shooting these aerosolized viruses out of their mouths in the air or or to be wearing this cloth from which people are still breathing through and breathing out viral particles uh, because they make it us all They, they packed us all in like sardines before we walk onto the court. You're all close together waiting there. You got to wait there all close together and then you get to well, why am I wearing a mask if they're going to make me do this? It, the, the policies it doesn't make any sense. I got into a, a uh, an Uber here in New York to go to the court, and I see the guy. He's got it's, he's got AC going. He's got his windows all up, and he sees me get into the car. You know what he does? Pulls his mask up. Guess what that does? Absolutely nothing. This guy is in an enclosed environment. He he has the windows up AC on he if he has COVID, which I'm not worried about. I don't think he does. And if he did, I'll deal with it. Right. But he's he's just filling this car, this enclosed area with COVID, with his you know open mouth breath the whole time. But I get into the car. He pulls up his mask. It's theater, friends. It's theater. You know, there are countless ways in which we see that this is just it's absurd. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Look, Dr. Burks uh, recently said that given that the, the spread is ever brought, folks. Remember what I, to, I told you that contact tracing was a joke? And I was right because the thing is all over the place. You're not going to trace this. We had a requirement. We weren't going to even enter phase one in New York until we had enough tracers in place. Stupidity. A joke. Oh, we're going to trace this. Yeah, sure we are. It's Now, in rural areas, all across the country, folks, this is spreading everywhere. It's spreading everywhere. But the death rate is much lower as long as seniors are uh, are are sequestered as needed and protected in different areas of the country. We're going to have a pretty low death rate in this phase, of the pandemic. And then when we get through this phase, we're going to be closer to herd immunity, if not be at a degree of herd immunity so that we don't ever have these kinds of major outbreaks like this again. And if that's what ends up, if if herd immunity ends up stopping the outbreak, all this stuff they've made you do, all the masking and all the the hospitals and all this stuff, the 15 days that's now heading for 150 days, we're going to be at 150 days the next two weeks, 15 days to 150 days to stop the spread. And what we find out is that about 135 of those days were totally unnecessary. All we have to do is basic precautions. Don't go to work if you're sick wash your hands, keep your distance from people as you can, and go about living your life, would have the same outcome. Here's a story that you're not going to see in CNN or any of these mainstream, uh, and when I say not going to see, it might be on, you know, the bottom of, a, of the website, linked somewhere, and, and get a total of 5,000 clicks or something over the course of 24 hours, right? It, may, it might be a nothing-burger story for them, but I think it's important uh, because we are told that if you have any questions about um, about, what to, about masking, you're a bad person who doesn't listen to science. The Netherlands is a very sophisticated, highly educated European country uh, with a very high quality of life, excellent health services. And here I just, I just tell you, um, the Netherlands, the Dutch, right, the Dutch people don't wear masks. They don't wear masks. The only place they wear masks is on public transport because there's no ability to socially distance. By the way, if that's if that were the requirement here, I'd be fine with that. OK, mass transit, even if it's a little bit a little bit helpful, maybe it's worth it there. Dr. Burke said recently, if you live with an elderly relative or somebody, maybe take that extra that extra layer of protection and put a, put a mask on. But for mass The the, what we've been led to believe recently is that mass masking will stop this pandemic and people who don't mask constantly are the reason for the pandemic. I want to pound this table as hard as I can. That is bull. The science does not support that has never supported that. People are nuts. They've lost it over this. It's just not true. It's just not. We've had mask wearing. I, I mean, in california in new york everyone's wearing masks all the time everywhere they go and we've been on lockdown for months and months and now the disease has spread all over the country all over the country here you go um the head of infectious disease in zwied lomberg which is the reason uh, the region rather hit hardest by pan- by the pandemic in holland the netherlands same thing pointed to a Norwegian study, again, very sophisticated, very uh, high level of health care and, and scientific, uh, scientific capability, a Norwegian study showing that 200,000 people must wear surgical masks for one week to stop a single COVID-19 case. This is the Daily Mail. That's starting to sound about right. Given how ineffective these masks are, what you're telling everybody is we're going to have a million people that are going to wear masks to stop five, ten COVID cases from happening. Of those five or ten COVID cases, what are the chances that it's somebody who's going to be deathly ill? Very, very small. So the disease is still spreading everywhere despite the mask wearing. And no one's, no one's even allowed to talk about it. In, in the Netherlands, they do not They do not wear masks. Face masks in public places are not necessary based on all the current evidence, said Cohen-Burrens, spokesman for the National Institute for Public Health and the Environment in the Netherlands. Quote, there is no benefit and there may even be negative impact. Uh, uh, I just want to know. It's basically the equivalent of the National Health Service of the Netherlands. Are they a bunch of science-denying lunatics? Is that what we're supposed to believe? No. They're talking about actual studies. Actual study of whether masks work. You know what everybody else relies on? Wear a mask because we say so. Because we think it'll help maybe, but we don't know. But wear it or else. Fear. Fear. If it was so effective, my friends, if it was really meaningfully effective... Look at the way that these viruses spread. You know, they always talk about the R1 number. And if, you know, if each person infects two people, then you get to exponential spread. If the mask was even 50 percent effective, you'd be able to shut down the pandemic very quickly anywhere you want it. If the mask is 10 percent effective, does it really make a difference? No. If 90 percent of the spread that you would have from an infected person happens, even if they have a mask on, then what are we doing? What are we what do we really think the benefit is? And there are drawbacks to it. I was walking around yesterday. It was ninety degrees here in New York. Could barely breathe. It sucks. Okay, I hate it. And people that are walking around say, "Go like, oh, just wear it. Do your part." No, idiots. I'm outside. I'm not infected, and I'm not getting infected, and I'm not infecting anybody else. Stop living in a fantasy land of fear. I, you know, I, I just want to know why the Dutch, why the Dutch are uh, able to go through life like this and they're they're fine and they're they're not they have they've had a better health outcome than other european states with severe lockdowns and mask wearing you know and this was all in response to a a major study the nation's top scientists have examined key data and research and declared there is no firm evidence to back the use of face coverings indeed they argue that wearing the wretched things may actually hamper the fight against the disease. So the Dutch, who are such anti-science savages, the Dutch are like, guys, look at the data. It does not support mask wearing. It just doesn't. Does anyone seem to, does anyone care? Does it even matter anymore? Or are people so invested in their belief about the magic of the mask that it doesn't matter what science tells us?
0: Hmm. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Oh, and it's not just the mask wearing. It's also the other lockdown policies. This coming from the Blaze place that I remember working when it just had a handful of employees. I was there when that thing started. Exclusive Arizona bar owner charged with crime for violating COVID-19 executive order says the business may not survive. Deborah Wool. this is a story from Aaron Colon, Deborah Wohl owns a small neighborhood bar in Apache Junction, Arizona, called Lucky Strikes. Her business has been financially devastated by COVID-19 lockdowns, and on the one day she opened up to offer takeout services in April, she was charged with a crime. As a result... Wall is facing thousands of dollars in fines from the misdemeanor and from citations issued by the Arizona Department of Liquor with her bar- uh, business barely surviving. She can't afford to pay and she doesn't believe she did anything wrong. And so now uh, they they are. She's facing the possibility of getting, uh, you know, getting arrested over this. Now, now we're arresting uh, seven year old ladies that have run their business for years and years and years because they didn't do things exactly as the state mandated based on what is increasingly obviously capricious and arbitrary junk, bullcrap, scientific interpretation. It was really just fear and control, folks. I mean, the, the guy, I, I, I want to know, someone explain this to me, okay, because I, I'm trying to, to make sure everyone understands really what's at stake here and how, how bad all this is. Because as far as I'm concerned, in America's new COVID tyranny, a governor could issue an executive order that you must eat vegan as a health emergency, whether it's from heart disease, climate change, take your pick. And if you refuse to, uh, to comply, that governor could imprison you. Sorry, but it's for your health, they'd say
0: as they clank the door on your metal cell. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. How are some of the worst hit
1: states by covid cases, at least this summer doing right now? What does the policy look like? Are they finally on the other side of that? Oh, so difficult curve. We've got Congressman Andy Biggs with us now from the great state of Arizona. Congressman, good to have you back. Good to be with you, Buck. Let's start. Before we get into the more general, national-level policy, how we get our lives back, how we end the tyranny, how we start living again as a country uh, in freedom and in some degree of prosperity, just let's focus in on Arizona, because you were getting a lot of attention for a big spike in cases. How are you guys doing there? How is hospital capacity? What are the cases looking like?
5: Are you on the other side of the curve? Tell us what you can. Yeah, I think we are. So one thing, Buck, is, is uh, as in so many places, the numbers don't tell the story. Uh, they were counting essentially almost 3,000 beds as full uh, that were basically surge beds that which they never used and we never got there. And so we're, we're uh, the hospitalization rate is way down over the last six weeks. The case fatality rate is way down over the last six weeks. The percentage of beds that are going to COVID patients is down. And um, there's a lot of lot of space in the hospitals, and uh, you know what? It's time for this governor to really open this thing up. Where are you
1: right now in terms of lockdown? I think people keep referring to a reopen. Uh, No major state that I know of has reopened. That's not really the way that people should be thinking about it. We're just in a less severe lockdown. Certainly the case in New York, where they've changed where where I'm doing this show right now. They keep changing what the opening status is, even from the metrics that they themselves sent. How are you doing in Arizona, and what would you like to see happen over the next, say, 30 days?
5: Well, the, the governor issued about a month ago uh, a lockdown on bars, um, swimming, uh, public swimming pools and, and water parks, uh, he, you know, this type of thing. The, the reality is he's, he could open that up, and we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We have to trust people to be free and that's what I would like to see. The other issue is he's basically put this weird thing on the schools where he says, yeah, uh, we're going to push back the opening of schools, uh, but then he's going to leave it up to the locals. And so this becomes a problem because you've got some districts where the unions are saying, that they don't want to open no matter what. And then you've got parents who want to send their kids to school. The data is real clear on this. And uh, we just need him to make a decision that's really, uh, in my opinion, forward thinking.
1: Now, we're speaking to Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Uh, There is a a package, a relief package that's supposed to get done in the Congress. And we're hearing that there's a a gulf, that there's a a, a wide uh, separation right now between Democrats and Republicans. Can you tell us, give us an update on the status of this? When, when can people listening to this expect that there will be the additional COVID relief bill, which will include unemployment payments, among other things? And what do you want to see included in this? I mean, we, we haven't really talked about this version of it yet, this iteration on the show. So bring us up to speed, Congressman.
5: OK, so first of all, Buck, you need to know that there's still something over a trillion dollars that has not been dispersed from the last bill. And uh, that's the last report I got late last week. Uh, and, and the chasm that you described is there, it's present. The Democrats want to continue the lockdowns. They want to continue to keep the economy closed. They want to continue to incentivize people not to go back to work. That's what, that's what all of their, their deal is. And they want to actually spend upwards of another $2 trillion, uh, maybe even as high as... They want more than $3 trillion, but the, I think they'd be willing to settle for $2 trillion. The Republicans in the Senate, um, some of them have come out, and I think they're exactly right. They said, we just can't keep shoveling trillions of dollars out the door and and, and give us this mounting national debt because that undermines the uh, uh, the foundation of the economy. So what, you, what I think you're going to see is you're going to see something with regard to uh, unemployment bonuses. Uh, so the federal bonus currently is 600 bucks. That just expired uh, Friday. Uh, Republicans want in the Senate want 200 bucks. The Democrats want to continue with 600 bucks. There's also this desire to send $1,200 per person back out. Uh, I, I, you know, Just in direct payments, I don't understand what that's about. Um, the reality is, and then the, then the big issue for Republicans, of course, is liability protection um, for people who are trying to open up businesses and get the economy going again. Uh, churches who want to do it, social clubs, everybody who wants to get back in the game um, and they're following CDC guidelines or local guidelines. They want some kind of protection from that. That's, that's the substance of, of, of really what people are talking about. Then there's a whole, and you know this, Buck, there's a whole lot of uh, orbit and periphery around that where people want to come in and spend just a ton of money. But um, with the last part of your question is what would I like to see? I would like to see liability protection. I would like to see a payroll tax holiday, and I would like to say Let's call it good, and let's incentivize people to go back to work instead of incentivizing people not to go back to work and incentivizing people to stay closed. That's a huge problem. How long
1: do you think that your Democrat colleagues in the Congress may hold this thing hostage with unreasonable demands and extend out, therefore, the anxiety that people already feel over these different issues of the unemployment checks and so on and so forth?
5: They will stick with it as long as as their polling numbers tell them that they're they're at least breaking even. They want to leverage this, this chaos really benefits them, they think, politically. And so, and I hate to put everything in political terms, but that's the way my opponents think. They're looking to see how long can we keep this thing uh, in a state of chaos and not start losing ground with the American uh, voter. That's what this is about, Buck. And uh, so if it's a week um, they'll take a week. If it's two weeks, they'll take two weeks. But that's, that's really what's driving that.
1: And, Congressman, before we let you go, uh, I know it's difficult to make predictions about much of anything these days, but you are in the state of Arizona. You're a congressman there. How are we looking for a Trump victory in the fall in your home state?
5: Yeah, I think if the election were held today, I think Trump would win. It would be a close election, but President Trump would win. Um, I I would suspect that you would be looking at the congressional makeup roughly the same. Um, And uh, we'll have to see how it plays out because in order for us to get an additional seat back or something like that, we really need President Trump to win by five to seven points here in Arizona. And right now he's probably gonna win by two to four, two to 4% if it were held today. I think though that that the tide is turning. Uh, People want safety and security, they want predictability. And they want the economy to come back and they look at President Trump as capable of delivering on all those things. And
1: as part of all that, I know I said one more for you, but I got another one I meant to get to schools reopening uh, in New York. There's a you know, I know it's state by state. I know the situation here best because it's it's my home state. But they're they were talking about a hybrid program. They said they're going to have new guidance. They push back the new guidance. They say they're not going to open schools fully. They may open them partially. They're not. I mean, it's a complete mess, Congressman. I mean, I'm speaking about it as a mess because it is a mess. What What's happening in Arizona? And what do you want to see as, as
5: school open policy nationwide? So, First of all, in Arizona, uh, it's, it's kind of a bit of a mess right now, too. They, the governor pushed back the opening of schools, and then he didn't give any real guidance or direction on what he wanted to see. I want to see us back in schools. But if you're not gonna, but our unions are not wanting to go back in Arizona. Um, some districts are saying that they that their teachers have to come in. So even if they're doing remote, they're gonna have to do it from the school site itself. What I would like to see is if you, if that's if we're gonna be um, all over the board, where you're gonna have some remote, some in, in person. I would like to see us go to kind of a uh, a, sch- a scholarship accounts or stick it on the backpack of the kid that we we give thirteen thousand bucks a kid here. Uh, and let them choose to go to charter, private, wherever they want to go because I can tell you, parents want to get their kids in schools and the charters and privates are the ones that are moving to open up and the traditionals are not. So I would like to see that money go to the kids and let the parents make the decision on what they think is best for the kid, whether it's remote learning or in-person learning through a charter or private or some districts that actually may open up.
1: Congressman Andy Biggs, appreciate you joining, sir. Come back soon.
5: Thank you, Buck. Take care.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I have been very opposed to TikTok. I was one of the first to expose the Chinese links. And I have urged that TikTok be closed down in America. There's a new proposal. Mnuchin and Meadows brought it up yesterday to have Microsoft take it over. There are some questions that have to be answered. How will the data be stored and secured? do the Chinese, will still the Chinese have links into TikTok? So before I would be for such a merger, I'd have to get some answers to these questions.
3: What I will confirm, is because TikTok acquired a U.S. company. It was subject to CFIUS jurisdiction. The CFIUS committee unanimously made a recommendation. That's one alternative, which could force a sale. Presidents, as I said, can also use IEPA, as he's discussed. And there is enormous bipartisan support. We are not keeping TikTok in its current form, where the app can send back information and location on 100 million Americans.
1: TikTok is in some trouble. Or at least it might get sold. It could get banned. It has already been banned in India, where it was in very widespread usage. Producer Mark, do you do you TikTok yet?
6: Are you TikToking? I uh, watch TikToks. I don't make TikToks.
1: What what about you know, Producer Mark makes the most delicious gravy. You know, you do he, not he doesn't.
6: He doesn't. Producer Mark is a very bad cook.
1: Okay, well then then don't make that TikTok. That's a fair that's a fair thing to say. I'll tell you this. Um, I've, I've checked out. I know people say, Buck, how could you? Why'd you download TikTok? I know it's, but I thought, you know, better to, I need to understand this thing. So I do have it on my phone, which I guess means that the Chinese do pop, perhaps have this back end access into my, all my data and my information or collecting all kinds of stuff on me. I, I'm aware. I'm aware. Uh, but, but here's what has really happened we, we've had a, a, wake, a wake up call that the Trump administration has largely provided to the American people about China, China, and what's true about the Chinese government's intentions for the future, how they try to get economic advantage over us. I mean, these are all very important, at least I think, very important areas of much greater public attention. And the surveillance state that they operate at home now has its tentacles extended all over the world. Information increasingly is power. We recognize this. The information advantage that is used by different uh, different countries for their economic sector is the single greatest advantage that any country could have. Uh, that's really, in an information-based economy, obviously, where you are able to best your competitors. And the Chinese have been stealing our intellectual property for decades in a way that, Nobody can ever really fully understand other than to just say it has been massive, systematic, and catastrophic for our long-term uh, competitive advantages. Catastrophic. I think we're already there. It doesn't mean we shouldn't stop it now, but who knows what the long-term consequences of this are going to be. And that then brings me to uh, what we're going to do about TikTok. Because people are concerned, a lot of Democrats and Republicans are concerned that this app, which if you don't really know what it is, it's like watching Instagram, but only videos. And they're these short videos that pop up in your feed. And they all have uh, pretty much, not all of them, They usually they have music. And I'll tell you this, it's addictive. I mean, you can sit there and waste 40 minutes of your life looking at TikTok videos I as in the blink of an eye it just feels like what I was you know you got videos about how to do different I I'm just constantly watching on a loop video of uh people making different kinds of meat you know just lots of cooking of steak and barbecue and, and people I think think oh TikTok's a Chinese app these are Americans making all this content that you're watching at least in America uh so you're watching your fellow Americans do all this stuff but there are very real concerns about what it means to have Chinese back-end access to all this data, and you start to look at the you know, biometric data and all this going back to the Chinese government, and people just know that they're, they're not okay with this. We don't want China to, China to effectively be operating a mass surveillance tool with a complicit U.S. public on U.S. soil. That, that's really where this whole thing... Uh, has has turned into a a massive uh, you know a massive news story, and they may sell this to Microsoft. So then I suppose we w- we would say okay, well, at least it's in an American company's hands, which is certainly better than the alternative. But China is a problem for us, my friends. We we're, we're finally understanding this. I think that's where uh, that's if if nothing else a a part of this discussion that I think is. Heading in the right direction, at least. China is a major problem for the U.S. That's not going to change anytime soon. Um, and they also could be trying to influence our elections. Here's Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, talking about exactly that. Play 11.
4: The Chinese Communist Party, and you, you saw this with our closure of the consul in Houston, is running espionage operations inside the United States and attempting deep influence targeting of American business leaders, of American congressmen, of city council members. We saw it happen up to a state senator in Wisconsin. Uh, this is a, a deep effort to conduct influence operations to undermine American democracy and put our nation at risk. Uh, this administration, President Trump for the first time, has said this is enough of this, we're gonna fix this. And has given us all the guidance, and you've seen us act on it, whether it was what we did to the consulate with Houston, you saw the FBI uh, indict several uh, PLA members who were studying here in the United States, engaged in activity that was clearly unlawful, uh, We're taking seriously this threat. We're going to protect the American people from these Chinese influence operations.
1: It's about time, friends. It's about time. We should be protecting the American people from exactly that and and there was a bipartisan failure for decades to understand the threat that the Chinese government posed. So you have these the surveillance issue, the theft of intellectual property. And, and this is all around us. I mean, I, look, I, I have a Chinese app on my phone. I know you're all going to yell at me for it. And I understand that. And I probably, you know. But at, at this point, I'm like, well, they've already had it on and they're going to sell it to a U.S. company in the next 30 days. They probably already got whatever they've done. Plus, they've, they've, I got the, uh, one of those emails of, oh, they hacked OPM, the Office of Personnel Management of the federal governments. They have all kinds of data on me already. They know a lot about the Buckster. Um, not, not that much exciting stuff for China to know, but nonetheless. And there's the way that the Chinese government... Now, you may say, Buck, the Uyghurs, this is an internal problem. Yes, it's a human rights, viol- human rights violation. It's terrible, but w- what are we really going to do about it? Remember, how a country is willing to treat its own population is an excellent proxy for understanding how much worse it will treat other populations around the world if it gets the opportunity to. And that's why it's important that Secretary Pompeo keeps pointing out how China's repression against the Uyghurs is so unacceptable and the whole global community needs to speak out against this, despite what it means for their economic bottom line. Play 10.
4: Well, the, the risk of the people in that region has been great. I've talked about this as the uh, greatest human rights violation of this century to date. Uh, and what we've attempted to do is make clear to China, if, if you want to participate on the world stage, you can't engage in behavior like this. So uh, we've begun to impose uh, sanctions on the individuals and businesses involved there. This most recent set of sanctions put out by the Department of Treasury uh, will put uh, the businesses operating there on notice. They've got to change their behavior. They've got to stop using slave labor. They've got to stop participating. In these. Systems that have been connected to forced sterilizations, forced abortions. These are, these are terrible, terrible things that are taking place there. And we're going to impose real costs on those businesses. This company is involved in the cotton trade and so has deep connectivity to Western businesses, including those in the United States. And we've been very clear. We've told U.S. businesses to take a real deep look into their supply chain. I don't think companies, uh, some brand names here in America, want to be connected to what's taking place there.
1: Amen. The fight is on between the U.S. and China for global supremacy in the 21st century. I'm just glad now it's a two-way fight.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sex Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for roll call. Indeed, time
1: for roll call. Let's get to it, my friends. Always a pleasure to hear from all of you. Had a nice, relaxing weekend. Hope you did the same. But we know this week is going to be madness with the news cycle, and I need to hear what the team thinks, what you want to hear more about, what you want us to be doing here in the hut. So let's let's get it, uh, let's get it rocking. Remember, Facebook.com/slash/BuckSexton. If you want to send us a message, you can also send them on Instagram at Buck Sexton, direct message or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. All right. And make sure you go to bucksexton.com. We got great stuff there. And pass the buck. Tell somebody to listen to the podcast who has not yet listened to the podcast. TJ. Hey, Buck. My wife and I went in for an ultrasound for our second child the other day. The ultrasound tech seems to think there's going to be an explosion of births in this country since covid started at least there'll be one good thing that comes out of this pandemic indeed tj although as i as i saw someone pointed out to much acclaim on twitter it's going to be a whole lot of during lockdown it'll be a whole lot of firstborn children people are thinking that maybe having a you know a lot of kids when you got to be locked out can be tough i'm just I, that was the joke that people were making that was the joke Lastly, I have a Nostradamus prediction to make for the last election debate, if they actually happen. When we are much closer to having a COVID vaccine, I predict that Trump will say something along the lines of regardless of who wins the election, my administration will have a COVID vaccine ready by the end of the year or before the next inauguration, at which point the left will accuse him of holding the vaccine as ransom for people to vote for him. Of course, I'll vote for him regardless across broken glass, over burning coals, whatever it takes. Shields high. TJ, yeah, the, the vaccine politics that we're all going to see, that we're all going to be subjected to, will be really, really ugly. That That's for sure. That's definitely going to happen. There's going to be a lot of ugly vaccine politics um, and the way, as I, as I was saying earlier in the show, the media is going to raise all kinds of doubts about whether it'll actually be here on time and will it be effective and and it'll ramp up the closer we get to the election. This is how propaganda works. Yeah, there are real concerns about effectiveness. There are real questions about this. But the way the media does it will be timed for maximum negative impact on public perception as we go into the actual election. That's what's going to happen. That's the reality that we face. Uh, so yeah, man, I think that's absolutely true, TJ. And we should get ready for it. And yep, I think there will be a whole lot of there'll be a whole lot of babies born. Right around uh, New Year's would be my guess, because that's when people went into quarantine. And, you know, when the quarantine huts are rockin', don't come a knocking. Uh, John Buck, what I think we've seen so far are a lot of tiny infringements on our rights. Obviously, it's wrong, but each of the infringements aren't inconvenient enough to make Americans attempt mass noncompliance. People ha, uh, have a for-the-greater-good mentality. I hope Fauci pushes for a goggle mandate because I don't see people complying with that. The useful idiots will, sure, but I think all the rest of us who have been drunk under the greater-good mentality will wake up and say enough is enough. John, I think you're right. It's the uh, it's the proverbial boiling, boiling frog in the pot or boiling pot with the frog in it. Yeah, that's the idea. That's the... The situation that I think uh, that I think we face and they've been steadily chipping away at rights, steadily chipping away at our sense of telling the government blank off, you maniacs. You can't stop this disease. You're not helping. You're making things worse and you're morons. Let us live our lives. Let every individual take common sense precautions uh, themselves. But with the government mandates on this are nuts. And I, I ask the question, and they never answer, why don't we have all these government mandates every year for flu season? They won't answer it now because that raises problems for what they're trying to accomplish in this moment. But here's what I will tell you. There will come a point in the future when people will start to raise that for flu season as well. Government loves all this control. Democrats love all this control. They don't want this to stop. Karen, hey, Buck, your show keeps me informed and entertained while I'm doing housework and yard work. I really appreciate how hard you and producer Mark work to make it happen. Thank you, Karen. It is a lot of work, but we love it. But we appreciate that you appreciate it. Your impressions of doctors Fauci, Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, and Elizabeth Warner are spot on. You have a great ear for voices and accents. Thank you, Karen. You said you feel uneasy about doing Trump, but I've heard you fall into Trump voice for half a sentence here and there, and it's really good. Go for it. You know you want to. Probably, Karen. I... No, I... I see? I... The very best the best no I my heart's not in it my heart's not in
6: it when you force it it's really bad
1: right yeah When it just happens that's true of so many impressions this is why people will say buck do so-and-so even friends of mine and I'm like I, I can't it just you hear it in your head and you do it when you hear it you know if you try to force it it doesn't really work as well you know I've got a great producer mark impression buck don't forget about that interview this afternoon buck be on time today Buck, send that email you said you were going to send. Buck, where's the Malta podcast? See,
6: I sound just like him. We'll do all those things, and I won't say any of that stuff anymore. I'm, I'm just telling you guys, my impersonation of producer Mark is spot on. It's off. not really an impersonation. It's more of a recounting of the things I tell you to do. <laughs> well, you know, close enough. Uh, Andrew, Buck and producer Mark, I laughed out loud as I was driving
1: home with your podcast, and you played the mask debate montage. That should be used more often. Yes, indeed. The mask debate is a very important thing to keep in mind. You got to be on. You got to make sure that you're focused during the mask
6: debate. You I know, mask I mean? debated this weekend.
1: Yeah, I can happen. You know, sometimes you're just out in public and someone sees you and you're all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, in the midst of a mask debate. And they can get very
6: upset when they see that. I've heard a public mask debate is actually a crime. It can be, especially if you get a little violent during the mask debate.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, also, if you form a team buck group on PS4, I'll learn how to play Call of Duty and join you and that tall guy in Texas, Shields High. Well, Andrew, I'm, I'm certainly thinking about it, although my brother, my older brother, who's the one with the PS4, that he gave to me came back and took it away already. He's like, oh, actually, I want it this week. And I'm like, well, I don't have a PS4. If you don't have a PS4, how do you play PS4? The governor wants you to know that PS4, for some of you, is going to be a bit of a waste of time. However, what do I mean by waste of time? It means you're not doing the mask and the delay that you need to do. Instead, you're going to be pretending to be a special operations soldier, killing all the bad guys. Why do you want to kill all the bad guys? Because when you own someone you're playing in multiplayer by squatting down on them and making obscene gestures after you've shot them with a sniper rifle, a fully automatic weapon, things actually are kind of funny. See, I played some I played some Call of Duty PS4 stuff. Michael. Hey, Buck, can the CIA get involved in domestic law enforcement in this country if things get too far out of control? I guess they're uh, I guess they are less visible than local state police or even the FBI. Uh, Michael, n- now no, they can't by law, and you wouldn't want them to. There'd be a lot of CIA people like, good heavens, what will we do? Our cappuccino machine has been toppled by the rioters. I will write a memo. That's what the CIA doing law enforcement would be like. I'm just telling you the truth. They're like, oh no, I've been typing so much today about how we need law and order that my hands hurt. I need to put them in, my, I need to put my pudgy little fingers in some Vaseline. It's, I'm just telling you, it's not CIA is not what people think it is. Um, Mitch. Haybuck, Faithful listener on one 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 zero KFAB, 1110 KFAB Omaha and the podcast. All right. Thank you so much. I'm an over the road driver for UPS at night. Maybe you've already said this, but isn't it strange how few federal politicians have gotten the COVID-19 virus? I wonder if it weren't for HIPAA laws. We would have found out by now the bulk of critics of hydroxychloroquine have been taking it prophylactically in secret. Well, Mitch, first of all, we love KFAB Omaha. That's one of our our original stations that came out here with us on the show. And uh, we've had a great listenership there for years now. And uh, we really, really do appreciate it. So big shout out to KFAB Omaha. And as for um, politicians maybe taking hydroxychloroquine as a prophylaxis, I, hmm, I'm sure there are people who are taking it prophylactically and not telling anybody, especially if they're going to be exposed for a certain period of time, the same way you would for malaria, right? You take, uh, I forget exactly how it works, but I know for some malarials, you take it for, I think, a week before you're in the endemic area and then up to a month when you come back to make sure that it never gets a a toehold, that the parasite, which malaria is a parasite, doesn't get a toehold in your system to replicate itself and then, take over and then malaria is really rough because not only can it kill you the first time around you can have malaria relapses where the parasite if your immune system gets compromised can come back and uh, really mess you up later on so malaria is a debilitating terrible disease so people take the prophylaxis for it i I bet there are people out there who especially if they're in a high risk situation are taking malaria prophylaxis i mean uh, taking covid hydroxychloroquine prophylaxis and not talking about it I just don't understand why they keep talking about studies of super sick people in the hospital. See, and we all look at them and say that's not—that's not what the use case is supposed to be. The use case is supposed to be at onset of symptoms, which is exactly the use case for Tamiflu. If you go to a doctor and you've had the flu, standard flu for five days, they're going to say no, don't take Tamiflu. For the most—I mean, unless maybe you're a special situation. I don't know, but generally speaking, they're going to tell you if you don't take Tamiflu in the first forty-eight hours. It's not really that effective for you because it's it's trying to stop the virus replication. And Tamiflu doesn't cure you; it just means for some people there's a lesser duration and less severity of symptoms. But you got to take it early on, and that's you know it's it's also true of PrEP, uh, which is a pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. So if you think you've been exposed to H, or if you think you're going to be, or in a high risk group for HIV exposure. You take PrEP uh, before, and it's less likely than if you do get exposed to HIV that you'll actually uh, have the virus take hold in your system and have a full scale infection. So I think that there are people taking hydroxychloroquine who aren't talking about it, but I can't even
0: begin to tell you how many. I have no idea. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: All right, next up here we have... Uh, actually, Producer Mark, how was your weekend, buddy?
6: Well, uh, not great. Hockey's back, so I just spent the weekend screaming expletives at my television.
1: Well, but at least you got to uh, have that bit of escapism.
6: Yeah, I guess so. Well, the, All the Rangers and Mets do, the two teams that are playing right now, is make my life miserable.
1: Mm, who's huh? better in their sport of the two teams?
6: Uh, it's a toss up. They're both about the same right now. I and think the Rangers like, have a better future. Are they bottom of the barrel in the league? No, no, no. They're ice? both about league average. League average.
1: Okay. Should and, be better, but they aren't. Yeah. I definitely did not watch any NBA games because you're going to kneel during the anthem. You're not going to have the Bucs. or watching. No surprise on that one. Not you that wouldn't have watched I anyway. I was about to say that, but at least I want to get the credit for not watching too. This has become a favorite conservative pastime now. We're like, we will not watch that sport. I will not watch uh, curling if they take a knee, you know, and then they take a knee. I've decided to, to give up watching curling. Have you ever seen curling? Do you even know what I'm talking about? Of course I know what curling is. Yeah, yeah, I will give up all, I will not watch figure skating this year because someone took the knee during, you know, we do a lot of that. Though. Sounds a lot like cancel culture to me. Ah. producer mark producer mark brings up a very interesting point of the debate but no no, it's not cancel culture if it's always been canceled because you've never watched it because you don't care so
6: you can't cancel any sports because you've never watched sports (laughs) that's (laughs) what i'm saying but i I I want the credit oh i've i have uh abstained from
1: watching you know the nhl this year or or mlb it's like well i've abstained for the last 38 years so big
6: protest from buck there big protest movement from the bucks that that's
1: fair that's true all right, we get Katie up here in Roll Call. Hey, Buck, I don't recommend getting a game system. I've been playing the Switch all summer, and I'm utterly useless. On the other hand, I've lost a few pounds because I'm playing video games instead of eating Ben & Jerry's, so there's that. Shield's
6: high. Well, what do we think of video games as a weight loss tool, producer, Mark? Uh, the Wii used to be. Remember, they had, like, Wii Tennis and Wii Bowling and all that Did stuff. That get that you like going? Last, I feel like that lasted a month, and everyone's like, I want to sit. I don't want to do this crap. Well, yeah, and then all the better games came out, like Mario Kart and all that yeah,
1: stuff exactly well sit on your butt while you're going wow luigi and like firing little you know mushrooms or whatever at people i don't even know what they i i used to, i did used to play a lot of mario kart i just forgot i would hope I so little, 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 oh, everyone mario kart was amazing did. mario kart was amazing especially if you had maybe imbibed a few beverages before for some people perhaps even in their high school or college years some substances that were not entirely legal at the time before playing the Mario Kart. Not that I recommend that, but I do understand that that was an entertaining thing to do sometimes.
6: Well, I mean, with the Switch, you can do that even better now. Mario! Yeah, no, that's totally true. So, Wait, what's the Switch? The Switch is the newest Nintendo platform. I it's did not even know that. both handheld and free, and you can plug it into your TV. Wow, yeah. I, I know nothing about this. I'm learning something new every day.
1: Speaking of weight loss tools, I got a haircut, a real professional haircut this weekend, and it was like someone shaved a yak with a weed weed whacker. Um, but it, it, it's amazing how much lighter the, the skull feels now. And so that's a that's a thing. I was about to say, did you ask your gardener to do it? Uh, pretty much. The guy <laughs> showed up and he was like, has anyone cut your hair in a long time? He's like, it looks like someone's been cutting a little bit. I was like, well, yes. But he's like, how long has it been? I had not gotten a... a, a an official haircut. For, I go to a barber, by the way. I don't go to a stylist. It's a salon. Hair, so before you make. No, it's a barber shop. Okay. They got the little barber thing out front. I go to a barber. But, Do, uh, is it
6: is it men and women?
1: No, just dudes. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it. It had been six months since I'd actually got a haircut. It's the longest I think I've ever gone. Wow. Yeah. All right. Toby Buck and producer Mark. Mike Slater touched on the subject of postmodernism last week. Oh, that's that fancy Yale guy stuff. Is it a subject I think you could deep dive into? Yes, maybe that instead of the Malta podcast would be helpful for people to understand the riots we are seeing. Shields high. Hmm, yes, we'll talk about some postmodernism. Hmm, no, I'm just kidding, Toby, that's a good idea. Uh, we got a lot of ideas, but we don't have that much time to execute on all of them because we're very, very busy bees here in the Freedom Hut. We'll add it to the list of things that Buck says
6: he's going to do, but doesn't.
1: Correct. So, uh, everybody, please do pass the Buck, speaking... Of that guy. And tell somebody to download the podcast this week. Our numbers keep going up because of all of you. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with you. Same time, same place, same love of freedom. Shields high.